Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. This is the number one daily radio show for realtors looking for a no BS, authentic, real-time coaching experience. What's really working in today's market, how to generate more leads, make more money, and have more time for what you love in your life. And now your hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Welcome back. We've got a great topic for all of you today, and this topic is sponsored by fear. Yes, <laughs> fear is today's show sponsor, and we are um, reacting to this based on some of the communication we've been receiving from a lot of you, and frankly, a lot of the other things that we've been seeing boil up in uh, over on Inman, over on just different you know chat boards and whatnot. A lot of folks not understanding how to actually translate, and understandably uh, so, by the way, because it is confusing, how to understand what inflation means, what a recession means, what stagflation means, what increasing rates mean, and how is it going to affect not just your real estate business, but your life in general. So what Julie and I are going to do is attempt to uh, clear the air about all these topics and reinstill or instill confidence in you, because the reality of it is, as all of these things are Though relevant to the real estate industry, you'll soon discover are going to, in many ways, um, make the real estate industry on a whole. And we're going to give you uh, the counter punch to what we're saying, the counter perspective. We're not just going to assume that we're right. We're going to tell you why we might be wrong. But in the short term, let's call it the next couple of years, we're definitely on the right side of uh, these facts. And um, yeah, so we're going to tell you why we might be wrong, but we're also going to tell you why the real estate industry, for the most part, uh, resale-wise, not new construction, but why resale uh, real estate is going to continue to be strong almost because of some of the things that are happening. That's right. So again, our job is to educate you. We're going to talk a lot about what all this can mean, both sides of it, to motivate you and most importantly, to get you into action. So we're going to give you some very specific action steps through the next couple of days where we're talking about all this stuff that's on your mind. We know what's happening in your head. Are we headed for recession, stagflation? How will raising rates affect your real estate market? So these are the questions that are going on in your head. And Tim, according to Social Capital's Chamath, I'm not going to try and say his last Papatia. name. Papatia. Papatia. Something like that. All In Podcast, by the way, guys. If you want to listen to another great podcast, look up All In. He's one of the four hosts on there. Julie and I listen to it every week. One of the only podcasts I probably listen to twice. Really? Absolutely. And uh, one of our coaching clients, Tammy Irby, wanted me to personally thank you for turning her onto that via listening to the podcast. Yeah. Because she's listening to it a couple times a week as well. There's well, so much that goes on in that podcast. We learn a lot from it. And what these guys do is they sort of have a mostly non-political perspective on talking about all these hot button topics. But um, he talks a lot about Go ahead. Yes. Uh, so we'll just call him Chamath <laughs> um, <laughs> on the All In podcast. Anytime that energy prices have jumped by 50% or more in the last 100 years, a recession has always followed. Now, we've already had an 86.4% increase year over year in oil prices. So that's one of his. Remember that the All In podcast is not specific to real estate. This is investors that are talking with each other. So Julie and I will answer the first question first. Is there going to be a recession? It does appear that there absolutely is going to be a recession. We might already be in a recession. One of the uh, the the bellwethers is usually two quarters of negative uh, GDP. But what happens before the two quarters of negative GDP? If you guys don't know what that means, basically where the country stops as a whole, what it produces declines opposed to increases. So normally you'll see the uh, gross uh, domestic uh, product will increase every month, but where it starts to flat, uh, where it starts to level off or decline, that's when you start running into 
uh, a recession, but more specifically, an inverted yield curve. And that's something else we're going to talk about a little bit today. But I promise you, we're not going to get too wonkish because we know most of you only want to know, how does this affect me? How does this affect my real estate business? So we're going to try to stay true to that mission. Yes. So additionally, the Federal Reserve does plan to increase interest rates. We've already seen this uh, twice in the past month, and they said there's, there's more to come. This is specifically to combat inflation, which is at least at 8% currently. Another great podcast, The Peter Schiff Show. He talks a lot about this kind of stuff. So at least at 8% inflation. Some people say it's at least double digits already. So probably we're headed for a recession. Now, fortunately, you have a real estate license, so nobody's going to make you unemployed. So let's talk about that. Interest rates are not – there's two opinions, right? The, the Fed has two real meaningful levers – uh, to control the economy, or at least to have an influence in the economy. One lever is the rising and the de- the rising and the uh, decreasing of interest rates, and the other is the printing of money. So what the Fed has now done is they said, well, the uh, economy is overheating. Uh, there's too much inflation. In other words, the price of everything is on the ascension. It's climbing at such a rate that it's going to out, uh, outpace people's ability to buy things. You are all experiencing that. And a great example would be you go to the store and maybe you are – I was using actually this example when I was talking with Russ, a fantastic oh, agent mm-hmm. in Williamson County, Texas today. And he was a – he's a Texan, so I used uh, – uh, what was it? Farm and seed or green, wherever where we used to get the <laughs> – The feed and seed. The yeah. feed and seed. I said, so let's say Bob goes to the feed and seed. And let's say Bob goes to the feed and seed to buy llama food. People in Texas have all kinds of crazy pets. <laughs> One of these days, we'll tell you guys a story about the fact that people in Texas actually have gorillas. And at this very seat, feed and seed that I was thinking of, we saw gorilla chow. Gorilla chow, not making that up, but that'll be a different story. Yep. Anyway, so Bob goes to the feed and seed to buy his, uh, you know, bi weekly uh, 10 bags of llama food or whatever it is. And he was normally, he was, he will, uh, he was thinking about buying a new pair of work gloves, but because the feed and seed had raised the price because of inflation, on the llama food, he's not going to buy the work gloves. Well, in the short run, who cares, right? But what happens over time is it turns out the llama, excuse me, the llama food only had maybe a 5% or 10% markup. The gloves and all the things inside the store had a 100% markup. So the feed and seed was making all of its money off the gloves, not off the llama food. So because he's not buying the gloves, the llama food uh, and has small margins. What's going to happen over time is not only is the, uh, the revenue from the feed and seed going to start decreasing, but then they're not going to hire somebody. This is the worst case scenario. This is what happens on the other end of this bridge uh, it, when you start seeing high, higher levels of unemployment. We're not there yet. We're just the beginning phase, and we don't inevitably have to get to that worst phase, but we're going to talk to you guys about that. So then what happens is he doesn't buy the gloves. They don't sell the gloves. The people that make the gloves then end up laying off people. And then this cycle uh, starts to turn uh, the opposite direction. Now we don't know how bad inflation is going to get. There are lots of reasons to believe that inflation is going to get significantly worse. And I'll tell you guys, this is Julie and I talked about this last week, but I still think it's absolutely amazing. Back the last time inflation was this high was 1981. And that's when they actually tracked inflation differently. So had we been using the cur- or had we been using the old uh, way of tracking inflation as they did in 1981, inflation now would be significantly worse than it was back then. And one of the key components that they changed when they were trying to under uh, when they were uh, reconfiguring how to uh, ch- uh, to track inflation and what the inflation rate was, guys, get this. I'm not making this up. It's something called owner's equivalent and rent. And I know we talked about this last week, but it's so shockingly – I mean, when you hear this, you're going to want to Google it because you're going to think I'm making it up. Because frankly, when I heard Peter Schiff say it, I Googled it because I thought he right. was maybe oversimplifying it and he wasn't. 
So back in 1981, people were, and prior to that, they were tracking inflation with regards to housing because it is your mostly everyone's single largest expense based on how much it actually was increasing. Rents were increasing, cost of housing was increasing. And so then they changed it. They said, okay, we're not going to use the actual inflation in housing anymore, the actual, because it had too significant of an impact over the overall inflation rate. And the government does not want to have a big, scary looking inflation rate because then people start to question what the heck's going on with the government. After all, isn't the Fed supposed to be controlling government? You guys get this? It's political. That's the bottom line here. So what they did is they removed that way of tracking inflation with regards to housing, and they put in this thing called owner's equivalent of rent. And what they do is they survey homeowners. I'm not sure if they survey the same homeowners. I'm not sure if they survey different homeowners, but I suspect that they survey the same homeowners. And they call them up, and they ask them, this is, guys, Google this. I'm telling you, it sounds nuts, but it's true. They ask them, what would you pay for your house and rent? Now, if someone were to call you guys up today, and they were to ask you, you those of you who are homeowners, what would you pay in rent for your house? Now, you're in the real estate business, so you might actually know what the market is. But you think your neighbor who's not in the real estate business does? So then they'll just report, well, you know what? I would pay $500 a month or I'd pay $1,500 a month or whatever it is. They don't know what the true market is. And what the hell does that have to actually do with the inflation in real estate? Not a damn thing. So by removing what would have been the largest uh, – you know, by removing that, then obviously the actual inflation rate that they're reporting is going to be significantly lower. So Peter Schiff, and now Peter is often, and I think correctly, seen as more of a conservative-leaning uh, uh, economist. But the reality of it is, is now you're hearing this across the board. The actual inflation rate that a lot of people believe is, uh, is in place across the country is closer to 15 or 16 percent. Now, I want you to think about that for a second because this goes back to another statistic that Julie and I shared with you guys late last year that Goldman Sachs was predicting that the increase in real estate across the country was going to be 16% uh, beginning of uh, this year at the end of uh, this year. Julie found a statistic, and we shared with you guys this two weeks ago, the actual inflation or increase in values of homes has been, so far this year... Just under 25%. So, clear, so far. So clearly... Uh, Goldman Sachs was a little too conservative with predicting 16%. And we're now seeing the average cost of a home, not the median cost of a home. The average cost of a home is not uh, what we were predicting, Julie and I, based on Goldman Sachs' prediction of 16%. By the end of this year, it was predicted to be 475000 It turns out the average cost of a home now is 510000 in the United States. Already at the end of first quarter. All right. So for you to say, Mr. Government or whoever is talking about this, that the inflation rate is 8%, it just ain't true. And you guys are experiencing that in your grocery bills. And so what's going to happen is like, for example, take people are saying, well, the war in the Ukraine is causing gas prices to go up. The war, all these things are true. All these things are, but there's also scarcity that's, uh, you know, lack of, all of this is going to cause inflation to go up. So the Fed's going to raise rates. And then the inflation rate basically is going to continue to increase despite the fact the Fed's raising rates because of the nature of what's ha happening in the, in, all over the plant. Oil prices increase. That increases the cost of so many products. So many products are built using some sort of refined oil, right? Not you think gas. Well, let's start there. Trucks, fuel, uh, fuel prices go up. Uh, the increased fuel prices gets passed on to consumers uh, eventually. And that's what we're all experiencing now. You think gas prices and grocery prices are going up? Everything prices are going up. Here's another little fun fact for you, and then we'll get back to Julie's stuff. 
30%, that's the average increase of new construction in the United States. 30%, where Julie and I live in Puerto Rico, it's 60%. Mm-hmm. What do you guys, and this is in my opinion, for the sake of resale, good thing, what do you think that's going to do to the value of resale homes? How many people are going to be able to afford to in, uh, pay for a new home 30% more than a resale home? Resale homes are going to continue to inflate, obviously already 25% based on the report that we read, but even more into the in the coming years because new construction is not going to all of a sudden uh, – what's going to happen is the market's going to have to catch up with the cost of – Everything. People talk about the cost of lumber. It's not just lumber. Labor rates have going uh, have gone through the roof. Labor is now uh, like a normal trades guy in some markets. They're paying uh, a guy that's building a house on average a hundred dollars an hour. This stuff does not wash back out of the economy. The inflation rate that we're experiencing now is what's. It, Julie and I again we talked about this probably two years ago. This is the hard reset of prices. In other words. You know, like I'll give you guys an example, a personal example. Julie and I's first house that we bought when we were 22 and 23, our first real investment property, but we lived there too, was 71 grand. That same house now is worth 300 grand. Do you think that house is going to ever go back to 71 grand? Of course not, no. right? So that's what the that and why is that increased demand? No, not really. I mean, Columbus, Ohio hasn't gotten that much bigger than since you know in the 90s. So what's really caused it? Inflation, the devaluing of the dollar. That is going to increase. It's not going to decrease. So resale real estate is going to continue to go through the roof. So put all these things into the hopper and think about it. So when someone says all these bad things, these doom and gloom things to you, you have to remember that you're in the real estate business. You're selling something that everybody needs. Everybody will always need a home. You are not selling something that is uh, like, for example, there is no uh, Remember, I was telling you about Bob going to the feed and seed. Mm -hmm. You know, he has to feed his llamas. Right. So he's buying that llama food, but he doesn't have to buy those gloves. You guys are in a business that has to people have to have what you're selling when you have to have what people are, uh, you know, what. When you're selling something that people have to have, you're in the right business. You are in the right business. So do not be fearful because ultimately a lot of the fear mongering that's going on is a design is intentionally designed to cause you to did I not turn that stupid thing off? I did. It's it's causing you to actually go into a state of inaction. And we're going to talk more about that. So you have to be very mindful of what information you're ingesting. Because yes, this inflation, you're going to feel it in your pocketbook. You already are. You're going to feel it across all different, uh, you know, every place and everything in your life is going to increase in cost. Um, don't, but so is your commission. Yeah, but so exactly. There's Julie just brought up the most salient point. So Julie, let's talk yes. about a lot of people are now, and this is I kind of find interesting. Mm-hmm. So like the Fed doesn't even use the word stagflation. Stagflation oh. is something that's not supposed to exist according to modern economic uh, theory. Yes, and this is not just, this is not speculation. This is according to many different economists. Well, what is stagflation? It's what central banks fear the most because it doesn't really have a clear resolution to it. Stagflation refers to a toxic combination of rising prices, that's inflation, and negative gross domestic product. Tim just talked about that a second ago. That's the output of people making things in the country. And that combination creates economic stagnation. So that's, you know, kind of a hot button, but nobody really wants to talk about it. But let's just do t- drop something else in sure. there. So stagflation basically is where costs increase and people's uh, incomes don't increase along with costs. That is another element of stagflation. But a lot of people are fear mongering over interest rates. So let's just cut through all the BS on that. 
right now you buy a house, even if the interest rates go up to 7%, it's still going to be cheaper than renting because rents are going to increase along with inflation. Of course they are. So you're going to be able to buy a house, even though the interest rate's not 3%. And I wish you would have locked something in then if you didn't. Well, you know, you may have missed out, but who cares? It's still going to be cheaper than yeah. renting when you compare payment to payment. What's happened in most major markets, and again, if you're a landlord, if you have assets, good for you. But rents now are more expensive than what an equivalent house would cost if someone just put like 10% down because that's how fast rents are inflating. Now, will the interest rates continue to climb? There are two schools of thought on that. And I'll tell you what Julie and I's opinion is after having talked about this and thought about this for a long time. No, because if the rates go up too high, here's what's going to happen. Not only is it going to worsen the recession, in our opinion, and you guys can hold us to this, because we're absolutely going to be in a recession, the Fed is going to use that as an excuse not to continue to raise rates. Remember, the two levers that rates that the Fed has, raising and lowering rates and printing money. So if they see that, and their number one job is to basically prevent inflation too late, so then they're going to try to prevent a recession too late. So what they're going to do is they're not going to raise rates because as they raise rates, and this is what's crazy, the government uh, since the start of COVID has now gone into debt. We owe over $20 trillion dollars. The debt payment, the interest payment on that debt is not by is not a huge significant portion of on average the the Fed uh, the national the budget that the government has every year. But if Fed raises the rates, and that's because the the rates have been basically zero. If the Fed raises the rates, uh, when they raise the rates, they also raise the rates on the pay on the interest payments that they have to make. So they raise the rates across everything, including the interest that they have to pay on the outstanding debt that's owed on the national debt. And because that number is it goes from relatively insignificant and as the rates were to, if they were to climb in a significant way, then it goes to it uh, then adversely affects the government's ability to pay its bills because they have all these debt payments. And do you think the US government's going to default on its debt? I don't think it is either. So then what's going to happen is you're, they're going to have to uh, go into some form of austerity where they're going to start cutting back on um, you know, benefits. Do you think the government's going to do that? Do you think all of a sudden people are going to start uh, – if all of a sudden the government says we're not going to be able to continue to pay all these things, you know, essentially entitlements, do you think there are, any politician's going to say that? Neither do I. Nope. So then the next thing you're going to say is we need to raise taxes on everybody. Do you think they're going to be able to raise taxes in a meaningful way in order to basically offset? No, neither do I. So the only way to actually overcome what we're experiencing now is for the uh, essentially the country to get back to work and for us to essentially earn our way out of this. It's not going to happen in any other way. But there's no politicians that are essentially talking like that. So if you guys are fearful of rates going up, remember the natural stopgap for that is a recession and also the fact that the Fed's going to have to increase its debt payments. For that reason, Julie and I do not think the interest rates are going to go up in a meaningful way because they can't. That's right. I do think they may inch up a little bit more before it stops. But I'm going to drill down that on on a future point here as well. So... What are you supposed to do about this? How are you going to be affected? And what should you do about it now? My note takers, get ready. So point number one, monitor your mindset. We generally lead with mindset to get their brains, you know, their heads screwed on straight. If you are spinning in a stew of negativity, uncertainty, and indecision, you are not going to get into action. That is a fact. So make the decision to create your own success by helping as many buyers and especially sellers in a shifting market. That is your prime directive. Helping people is what you lead with every day. So you've got to monitor your mindset. And related to that is point number two, keep yourself media free. Go on a dopamine fast. That's something that you're all in, guys. 
call breaking up with media going on a dopamine fast since yeah. you get a little hit of something. Ooh, we're right? totally going to steal that. That's awesome. I thought so too. So this is my first stealing of that. Hold on. We didn't get it from Owen. <laughs> Julie and I thought it up. Uh, that's right. That's a rewind, Tim and Julie rewind. original. Copyright, copyright. <laughs> that's right. So cut yourself <laughs> off from anything except the most curated podcasts like this one, which support your mindset, your business education, and other interests that make sense for you. You know, I had to go to the dentist once again, and I was wanting to listen to something that would drown out the drilling part. Ew. So I turned on a Sticky Notes podcast about classical music, and it worked great. Like, I was, you know, I had to crank it up quite a bit. But that's what I mean by other interests that make sense to you. Curate what's going on in a sheer head instead of being passive about it. The one thing that's nice about going to the dentist in Puerto Rico, since most of them speak, prefer to speak Spanish, <laughs> yeah. and we prefer to speak uh, English, Unlike in the United States where every dentist and de every dental hygienist seems to think that you're ready to have a big long-winded conversation <laughs> while, while they have their hands in your mouth. I've never gone to a dentist or hygienist that didn't want to talk to you about something. It's like, why are you talking to me? I can't really talk back. I nice, know. Nice thing here. It's cruel. It's like half the time because they don't talk and they just get it done. Yes, I know. <laughs> the dentists here are fantastic. I, I, did, I did learn or relearn the word for pain in Spanish, though. So I'm picking up a little bit in you between drilling. Oh, oh, they say, tienes dolor which is, do you have pain? And I'm like, what do you think? There's a drill in my face. But anyway, okay, point number three. No, está bien. Está bien, no, todo bien. What do the, the British say? Everything is tickety-boo. Anyway, I'll try using that on them. All right, number three, accept and embrace the fact that you will need to make more contacts in more areas, that's spokes on your income wheel, in order to meet or exceed your goals this year and next more proactive lead generation, more consistently will ensure your success. There is no time for laziness or complacency in a shifting market. Well, I was talking with Russ, whose last name will remain uh, anonymous, and he is one of the top Keller Williams agents in Austin, a fantastic agent, a true, true gentleman. Mm -hmm. We had him list our house and we sold, yep. which, by the way, he told me this morning was one of the biggest feathers in his cap of his career. Oh, that's nice. I know. Um, awesome. He doesn't know that we admire him too. So, right. but anyway, he was yeah. telling he was telling me that as far as the um, he was asking me what he thought he, uh, we should he should be doing in his business, and I it's what we we never vacillate from this. Anything that does not lead directly to a paycheck in ninety days or less is probably complete and total bullshit. And we made a list in his business of the things that were not like that. And fortunately, he said he'd um, we'd had this conversation uh, prior him, him and I. And so he actually had already cut a lot of the fluff out of his business, but he said he's prepared to have it again. And I said, anything – oh, I know. I'm going to step on one yep. of your upcoming points. All right. I'm not going to get to Julie's uh, point. <laughs> I won't ruin Julie's point number five because she wrote it really right. well. Let me get but, to, but to I've, four. But I've just uh, uh, foreshadowed it. There you go. I like that. All right. Point number four. Stop leading every conversation with, did you see what mortgage rates are doing? 25% of transactions in the past year were all cash. Why is that? Well, inflation creates equity, doesn't it? So stop focusing on the wrong thing. Everyone else buys based on payment. So if that means that your buyers spend 50000 less than they would have, that's up to them, not up to you. Lenders will react, and they already are, by reviving the 80-10-10 loan, 5-1 arms, 3-1 arms, that's adjustable rate mortgages. They keep rates lower in the first few years of the loan. And I'll tell you, the other thing that's already started happening is that buyers are voluntarily buying their own rate down and locking it in. So I personally don't think, I know we're, unless you've done homework on this, and you have. Okay, so you have, and you, for sure lenders are starting to come out with arms yep. again. Yep, yep. So the nature of the arms, though, are not going to be like they were during the housing bubble because mm -hmm. the fact the Dodd-Frank thing and all that changed. I know. So, 
Yeah, and the and, and also the credit requirements are a lot different. What, by the way, tomorrow or the next day, we're also going to talk about why, again, because we have to remind all of you, because a lot of you are listening to us for the first time, why there will not be a housing crash. Um, right. I have had numerous conversations with people trying to deprogram them out of the belief that it's going to be a housing crash. Because when you guys believe, for example, a recession is going to ruin your business, it won't. When you believe that there, there's a housing crash looming, there isn't. When you think like that, what comes as a result? You go into a state of inaction. You don't. You make it re- your reality. So you're fearful of something bad happening. Mm-hmm. And because you're fearful of that bad thing happening, you manifest the bad thing happening. You've got to really, going back to Julie's yep. point numero uno, you've got to be really sensitive to not allowing any of this negative crap uh, enter your mind. People that are fear-mongering are trying to sell you something or trying to control you. you got to purge those people from your life right now because you are in the right place at the right time and you are in the right industry. I would not personally like to be in a real bad recession, for example, in uh, the boating industry, for example. Yeah. Anything well, anything exactly. that – right. Anything that's voluntary. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to necessarily – That's right. Right. But we're not anywhere near that because, by the way, boats are now sold out for the next three or four years. Well, that's right. And so one of the things that we're going to be working a lot with with our coaching clients is understanding the reaction to, you know, maybe a little bit higher interest rates. So, for example, because I've been researching something about educating them more on loans since that's going to be a moving target. Did you know that I believe as long as you have 720 or higher, you can put down 3%, okay? So let's say that you have a, a big chunk of equity. You've got two or 300,000 that you are going to spend towards a mortgage, right? Well, maybe instead of spending it on your down payment, you spend some, not all of that money, on buying down your rate and locking it in so that you have a better payment. You make a smaller down payment. You use the money to buy down the loan, So the rate. So uh, Julie Harris, you know most of them have no idea what you're talking about, right? That's why I'm going to do a podcast about it. Yeah, because you guys don't know what she's talking about because many of you weren't in the business back in the day, and this is what lenders are, I'm sorry, builders are also going to try to do. Mm-hmm. They're going to, because of the fact that they have to offset your monthly payment, uh, your monthly payment, even though they know the house is more expensive, they're going to throw money at the mortgage to try to buy the rate down. So you but qualify if, for that payment. Right. But if there's a 30% disparity between a, you know, essentially a, a perfectly livable resale house and a new construction home, mm-hmm. that cap is going to be too big to fill, especially with the average sale price being 500 grand. Mm-hmm. That means the average resale home or new construction home is going to be obviously more than that that a bunch of rate buy downs aren't going to make up that kind of payment. So right now, if you want to know a business that you don't necessarily want to be in, it's unfortunately new construction. Everything is going to work against new construction probably for the foreseeable future. Yeah. And don't forget that a lot of builders have their own escalation clauses against the buyer. That's right. Escalation clauses. That's a little fun fact. Did you guys know those exist? They've existed for a long time, primarily on the, in the very, very upper end. So if you here's how it works. So you go on a contract on something for six hundred and fifty grand. Okay, good. I'm six hundred and fifty grand. The house is gonna be delivered in you know a year or whatever. Maybe it's six months, it depends how big it is and you know, all that. Well the builders now, even the production builders, are building an es- es- escalation clauses where you're going to pay whatever the actual final price is, which is not gonna be six fifty because they're doing just in time on the delivery of the product. For example, you build a house, they then have to dig the hole. Well it turns out digging the hole, let's say it's a you know, part of the country or the basement. Let's say the price of that has gone up 20%. You think they're going to absorb that from their profit? No, they're not. You're going to pay it. Lumber has gone up. Windows have gone up. So on and so on and so on. And all of this has gone up dramatically in the past, like really six months. It's going to go up dramatically again in the next six months. So you go and contract on something in new construction. Do not be surprised that your finished price is actually 20% more. 
it, or more. In uh, luxury, it's significantly more because the number of people that know how to do, you know, all the little nuanced, finer, higher end things that are new higher end homes. They are really in demand, and as a result of that, they're doubling their prices in some cases. And I'm talking materials, but mostly labor. That's if you can even get them. Yeah. You know, there's a shortage of that, too. Okay. So point number five, as, uh, you know, led into by you previously, stop spending your money on stupid stuff. Branding, buyer leads, and building a team equal the three Bs to avoid. Again, branding, buyer leads, and building a team. We could definitely think of some more letter- words to start with B and have more fun with that. <laughs> I was going to call it the BS of real estate. But anyway. What would have been the S? The I mean, Bs. I couldn't make it work, so it's just the three Bs But there's now. something there. It, right? It's going somewhere. We, we could probably come up with like seven Bs. <laughs> At least. But if those guys, are the ones that are most prevalent. If you guys have any ideas for more Bs we can throw on there, <laughs> yeah. because there is definitely something there, uh, uh, text me directly at 512-758-0206, 512-758-0206. And by the way, yes, Julie and I are with eXp Realty, and yes, we'd love to sponsor you at eXp Realty. If you're eXp Realty uh, curious and you're ready to take the next step, text me directly at 512-758-0206, 512-758-0206. Guys, there is no doubt, and once you learn more about eXp, you will agree, that EXP is going to be the brokerage you're going to want to be with in the event that these, this recession, frankly, any recession, any economic situation, but especially a recession, and especially what what might come after the recession. And there will be, and there are reasons to believe that what we're going to be entering into um, if this recession prolongs, because the average, I don't know if you researched this, just, how long does the average recession last? No, I don't have that exact It's not long. You, but it's not generally that But long. this is going to be a long-term, for example, the stagflation period we're in, guys. If you want to know more about stagflation, Google stagflation Japan. Then you're going to understand what yeah. we could be entering into. I don't think we are because our, our economy is so massive compared to Japan's. But the reality of it is, is we're going to be entered in, entering into uncharted waters that historically we've never experienced in this country. At this point, you have to assume that's baked in, but do not use – I'm not trying to cause fear. I'm trying to just prepare you. Caution. Caution. Have, uh, realize that if you're, for example, doing these three Bs, you're probably going to want to hit hard reset on that thinking. But ultimately, you will have to choose a brokerage to be with, and Julie and I would love to have you guys consider us to be your sponsors at eXp Realty. Text me directly at 5 5- one two seven five eight zero two zero six. Yes. So again, the point here: stop spending your money on stupid stuff. Unless you can definitively show a profit as a result of your expenditure, stop speculating immediately. Doing more of what doesn't work will just make you broke faster. If again, uh, effort results. Effort results. Effort results. If there's not a direct result from your effort, stop doing it. Anything that's speculative. Well, Julie, I'm going to keep on doing this branding exercise because I'm going to keep on doing a bunch of this video, these videos. I'm going to keep on doing all the rest of it because I was told by marketing experts that if I build my brand, okay, you guys, it doesn't There's even, a new term for that. It already stinks. What? Tracking your vanity metrics. Oh, that's actually not a new term, but it's awesome. But it, it describes what it is, right? That's a, new, a point for tomorrow. But anyway, stop spending your money on stuff that you can't track. And, you know, in our real estate treasure map, we talk specifically about what you should track. So be aware of what actually makes you money. And one of the exercises is to look at your past 10 transactions. Where did they come from? If eight out of 10 of them were past clients, but you've never really actively talked to your past clients, that would be called the luck of a hot market. When that starts to go away, you've got to do more of what works and add spokes to that. By the way, if the very, if you guys heard Julie say the word, talk to your past clients, <laughs> and that uh, 
you had a, a motion of fear, uh, if you emoted fear from that, then you need to realize that that is, you absolutely should be a red flag as to what yeah. you need to be working on. You have to have the ability to have lucid <laughs> conversations That's with your right. customers. I know. Okay. I'm, I'm preparing okay, you. Okay, good. I'm trying to set you up for point number six. <laughs> Go for it. If, you, if you're not doing that on a regular basis and you're relying on all these fanciful things that could only be even moderately rationalized in a buoyant seller's market. In other words, when cash is flowing, people don't stop to actually track. But when cash starts to slow down and there's a fear in the market, you're going to now the buyers going to take themselves out of the market first. I'm going to share with you guys something fun that we're working on. I heard that uh, Supra, as in the lockbox companies, has, and I'm trying to get them, they haven't given them to me yet, but I'm going to do my best, has reporting on all of the Supra lockbox activity. Well, of course they would, right? Sure. And I heard that from uh, Russ, frankly, that mm -hmm. in Vancouver, British Columbia, mm -hmm. that Supra lockbox access has dropped by, if I remember correctly, 50%. Wow. And I also heard in Austin, which will, in my opinion, be a very recession-proof market, mm -hmm. the activity there has even dropped off by double digits. It could so, be. That'll so, be interesting. So what's happened? Because rights, rates rose, because buyers felt uncertainty, because they felt fear, they, temp, they hit the pause button and they took themselves out of the market. Russ also told me in Austin, Julie and I have properties in Austin, so we pay attention to it. He also told me that he's hearing anecdotal uh, in, uh, feedback from other agents that they're, guess what? Listings are staying on the market more than 22 seconds. Mm -hmm. That things are becoming harder to sell. That agents are now trying to figure out, well, what the hell is a price change and how do I do it? I know it is shocking to them that you might have to talk to a seller more than once before they're in contract. Right. And I'm sure we'll do podcasts on this as well. We are working with our premier coaching clients on a lot of those conversations because it is changing and it does kind of freak them out. Get to know? point number six okay. before our friend with the leaf blower. I hear him coming. All right. Yeah. Point number six, make the commitment to speak with, as in on the phone or in person, a hundred percent of your past clients and centers of influence, asking them if they would like a comparative market analysis, that's a CMA, to see what their home is worth in today's market, because inflation of prices is a motivation for many to cash out. Now, if you've got 250 people in your database and you speak with, that's not Twittering or texting them, speak with five per day, you will speak with 100% of your list in less than two months. It'll take you 50 days to get through 250 people. And then what do you do after that? You call them back two months later at the exact... Now, we want. Now if you don't have 250, if you have fewer than that, our suggestion is you start calling them all once a month, and we tell you what to say in the coaching program. We tell you how to say it. We, it's okay to leave voicemails, but the conversation is going to be centered around what's in their best interest. Because to Julie's point, what you're not... We're not suggesting that you talk them into refinancing. Of course not. Or doing home equity lines of credit. What you might discover, there was a lot of people that were looking for, maybe they were thinking about buying or selling or selling in the next two years, but they might move that uh, decision up to now because they're concerned that maybe in two years it won't be as buoyant. Who knows, right? Though personally, I think based on inflation, there's zero chance that prices won't be dramatically increased in two years. Uh, but maybe they don't have that same time frame, or maybe they don't want to wait. You guys get it? The point is, is have the conversation. The nice thing about real estate is most people and um, don't make decisions about selling based on finances primarily. And it's really important that all of us understand that Be and because uh, from our perspective, from your perspective, you're always thinking about money. What's going to get the most net for the seller? You know, all that type of thing. And inflation rates and appreciation rates. But the reality of it is, is most consumers 
that is a concern what the home's net value is, but it's not the concern. It's convenience. People buy and sell no matter what the rates are, no matter what the economy is, no matter what the news cycle is, no matter who the president is, for normal reasons. They need to get a bigger house because they expanded their family. They don't need a big house anymore because the kids left. They want to, you guys get it? There are real defined reasons why humans will always be buying and selling real estate. And usually the financial benefit to them is the least motivational. If you think it's the most motivational, you need to change your mindset about it because that is not truly what drives people. A lot of people, for example, it's very predictable when people are in their mid to late 30s or early 40s, sometimes mid 40s, that's generally speaking when they're uh, wanting to um, you know, peacock about their success. When you look at where most of the buying happens, and it depends on the part of the country, it, uh, what age, it's usually when people want to have a big house. To sh it's their award for themselves. It's the thing that they want. They want to buy a house so they can have their friends over so they can show off. And they uh, need more space because their family is growing and all of that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. You know, it's interesting as I hear you talking about this. I'm, I'm rewinding many coaching calls from the past week or two especially. What we're starting to see is more of what you and I call the normal reasons that people move. What you said, they're ready to have that big house that they've always wanted. Their family's getting bigger. They need more room. They need better school district. One of the other things I'm hearing is baby boomers are cashing out and downsizing paying cash for a condo because they don't need five bedrooms anymore. These are normal reasons that are not dependent on interest rates, not dependent on what type of market it is. And, and that's a great thing to see. The only question is, are you listeners going to participate in those transactions? So here's the other thing that you guys got to take into consideration. In an inflationary time, which we are experiencing, the last thing to increase for most people, people that aren't uh, in the real estate industry, the last thing that will increase is their wages. So it is unfortunate there will be some people that otherwise would have been able to purchase a house maybe a year ago that now are going to be longer term rental or renters. That is what's going to happen for sure. But don't like the reality of it is, is people are still going to buy houses. The younger generation is still going to buy houses. Their wages will catch up and they maybe have to save more money, but they are going to buy real estate. That is not going to stop. That cycle of needing a place primarily to raise your family is going to go on forever. You're always going to need a place to live. You guys have to wrap your mind around that. So whether you knew you were geniuses or not when you got your real estate licenses, yeah. you were because you are selling something that everybody needs. In a, in a bad economic time, which we might be entering into, many, many people are not selling uh, something that everybody needs. Many, many people are selling things that are luxury items, not in the truest sense of luxury items, but in the luxury items in the sense that someone could decide not to buy it. We heard that there's a huge increase, for example, in the number of people that are going from buying brand name food, and we heard this mm -hmm. uh, just today, to a generic food. They're going to, going to start uh, buying less quantity. So people are figuring it out, taking micro baby steps on how they're going to make ends meet because their, in their wages have not yet increased. Now, when wages increase, what is that going to do to the prices? So if someone's working at Julie's dental office, right? Mm -hmm. She had a tooth problem, right? Obviously, that's the reason you go to a dental <laughs> office. Well, probably the people working there are getting the same amount of money they're getting roughly 18 months ago. But eventually, he's going to have to start paying them more. And what's that going to do to Julie's copay or whatever she's doing mm -hmm. in her mouth? I'm not really sure. And that's going to increase the cost 
that's going to be passed on to consumers. And do you guys think there'll be a time in the future where the people working at that dental office are going to somehow decide to take less? He's not going to go to, there's no after inflation, prices are going to settle back down. That's not how it works. There is no after inflation uh, price uh, devaluing of anything. Values are going to stay high of labor, of hard, of uh, uh, everything. But so there you will be changes. You know, people will be flexible. You just have to deal with it, like everything, right? I wanted to ask you whether what you think of this. Uh, our local this. our local gas station has decided to only stock the cheap gas, no premium anymore. Is that because? They're paying less, you know, they don't because want to spend it, it, then people weren't buying it. So yep. that's a change. It's not that you're not going to get gas, but you're going to be, But let's. Know. that's a really good observation. So let's, let's rattle that back. So mm-hmm. why aren't people buying it? Why did, so let's assume the gas, the premium gas is not available for the gas station to actually sell. Because if Might he be. had it, he'd have, he'd, so, mm-hmm. it's because the, the uh, refineries, mm-hmm. probably because what's happening in the Ukraine to some extent, mm-hmm. probably because for some you know, mostly uh, social reason, we're not actually creating our own energy in the United States. So they have to decide, are they going to produce a product that's going to appeal to more people or fewer people? And obviously the lesser expensive gas is. But the real reason is, Mm -hmm. is because the cost of the regular gas now is probably more, most certainly more per gallon or liter, because we're in Puerto Rico, than the cost of premium fuel 90 days ago. Mm -hmm. And so this is a substitute, an example of substitution. Mm -hmm. So people, it's for, you did, you read that really amazing article on Doritos or whatever, right? Same size bag, fewer chips. I know. You know, I was having my normal breakfast of Champions Diet Coke this morning. And, you. and uh, I alternate with coffee because it's hot out. I wanted a cold Diet Coke. And, and I picked it up and I swear to you, I got to research this. It felt like there was less in it. Well, I know you can do eight ounce versus 10 ounce or 12 ounce. But I don't know. Uh, now I'm suspicious of pretty much everything because I get the whole substitution thing. There's lots of different things. But I, I think that part of that is giving grown humans some credit for work, for doing workarounds. Don't bounce off that. I'm going to give you an example. You yeah. said Diet Coke, of which you and I both have empty cans in our hands in front of us, yes. right? Mm-hmm. So do you know what percent of well, – uh, let's use wine, oh, yeah, for example. Yep. Yeah, but this is an example of mm-hmm. how technology fills in the gap. What percent of this Diet Coke is water? I think it's like 80 or 90 percent. It's like 80 or 90 percent. Okay, what percent of wine is water? Probably most of it. Exactly. So most of everything that you're – so when you are essentially bringing in Diet Coke and you're bringing in wine, all you're really doing is bringing in something that's in essence free Mm -hmm. that's already in your house. You're buying water. Well, there's this technology that's coming out called 3D um, 3D printing – don't get this all convoluted in your head. I know it sounds confusing, listeners. I had to research it too, and I had to explain to Julie 10 times because it doesn't make sense. Yep. But you can actually 3D print beverages now. You can 3D print wine now. There's going to be a, um, a, a several companies that are making machines that are going to make it so that you can, in your home, put water in the machine. Then you have to buy the little different enzymes and all the different things. Mm-hmm. And then you can actually make your own beverages at home. Now, why is that going to be huge? Unbelievable off the charts home run because the cost of bringing in canned, uh, you know, Coke and all the rest of it and wine is going to go through the roof. So people are going to look for a natural substitution. Now, here's a cool thing. Assuming that's a good product uh, that makes great uh, beverages, why the hell would you ever go back to buying canned anything? You won't. You're now going to basically make it in your own house and so will everyone else. So during times like this, what it squeezes out 
are people's uh, complacency uh, of towards just, well, why do I need to make Coke in my house? I'll just basically, or I'm sorry, why do I need to uh, yep. make it in my house? I can just buy it. Well, when there's times of inflation, what it does is it causes people to look, they don't want to give up what they, they're used to having, but they look for substitutions. That in itself creates new opportunities and allows new evolutionary thoughts to start emerging in people's brains. So maybe, for example, you know, Julie and I had the idea of making a 3D printing beverage machine. You know, we'll figure out, hire the best uh, top-notch scientists. We'll create something that's unbelievable. Everyone in America will put it on their, uh, you know, countertop. It'll cost $300. We'll make recurring revenue from the widgets that they're buying to put inside the thing. Well, then I take it to an investor, and the investor goes, dude, they can buy a can of Coke for, you know, 25 cents or whatever from Costco. Why the hell would they want to basically go through all this hassle? Well, you guys get it? There's no room for evolution, or there's no room for not evolution, but um really any sort of uh, opportunity for new businesses to emerge when the existing paradigm doesn't permit it. But when there's times of changes like this, recession, depression, rising interest rates, unfortunately, wars, pandemics, look how much of the pandemic changed the world. Then all of a sudden, you know, nature abhors a vacuum. So when there's a vacuum, when there's an opening, new technology, new ways of thinking we're entering. It's incredible. This is the reason ultimately when you go through times like this, the worst thing for you to do is be sucked into the fear mongers because when you do, you do nothing. And when you do, all of a sudden colors don't seem right. You know, everyone you're surrounding yourself with is also looking for a stair, you know, staircase to hide under. We're just going to wait it out to see what happens next. That's not really the true mindset any of you should have, especially in this industry. What are you thinking? I, I mean, I think that you have to reset your mindset to those positive things that came out of the pandemic, certainly that are going to come out of the pending recession and, you know, look at it for what it is. I mean, the people, and we keep on going back to mindset because there are people that are like, oh, well, this is going to spell a real estate crash. Well, guess what? Foreclosures are less than 1% right now. Everyone has equity Let's wait. and everyone has great credit. We'll talk about that. But there is no real estate crash. We've talked about this on the podcast. There is no real estate crash in the cards. And I will tell you how we know this to be sure because Julie and I, when uh, 07 happened, 07 and 08, Fortunately, we meandered into some relationships. We leveraged our relationships inside National Association of Realtors. And we were, you guys can go back and research this. They're floating around the internet somewhere, I'm sure. Um, we were working with the FDIC. We worked with Fannie Mae. We worked with Freddie Mac. We worked with some of the largest uh, everybody's who were in that uh, distressed property space because we were the first to market with a national short sale product. Training agents had to do short sales. And this was before there was an actual system to do short sales. Yeah. So all of those relationships that we still have, Julie and I frequently talk with them. We ask them, are you guys seeing any reason to believe there's going to be any sort of return to a distressed market? And all of them said, here's what they honestly say. We, they say, we wish because that was our industry. Yeah. We know how to do it better than anyone else. But no, there's not going to be. There's absolutely no reason to believe there's going to be any sort of precipitous drop in housing prices, let alone a housing crash. So if you're using the excuse to, uh, you know, personally not purchase a home or purchase your next home because prices are going to fall, they might in your market. I don't know your market, right? Every market's different. But for the most part, that isn't going to happen. It's not baked in even in a recession, even with inflation. All this stuff is new to all of us. If Julie and I definitely didn't get all of our facts and figures right, we are trying. We're learning on the job, as most of you guys are. But here's what I hope your big takeaway will be, as Julie promised at the top of today's show. We wanted to educate you. We wanted to motivate you. And ultimately, you have to get into action. The action is your highest and truest purpose on this planet is to is to be profitable is, is to, to help be of service is, yes. is to be of service to other people that is ultimately your highest truest purpose on this planet 
What's going to make you feel motivated is knowing that you can help people even though they're being fearful. That comes from your education. So open your mind to the possibilities. Don't get sucked into all the people that are looking for the staircase to hide under. You are in the right place at the right time. Now it's important for you to take the right actions and hopefully we directed you in the right way. Ooh, that was four rights. That was yeah, pretty right. good. Very good. All right. Excellent. So if we can do four rights, we ought to be able to do like six P's. I, you mean, and some more bees. Bees, that's bees. right. That's right. Um, so thank you for keeping this number one listen to daily podcast for real estate professionals in the United States. Already this year, we've had close to 2 million um, downloads and listens. It's, you know, it's fantastic. We'll, this is going to be a record year for this pod. It's all because you guys, honestly, you guys say, well, I get so much from your podcast. Well, you do. But then what do you do? Those of you um, who have any sense of humanity. <laughs> for the love of God. For the love of God. You then share the podcast with other people. So please do that. Share the podcast with at least three other people that you know. You know, send a link to it, talk about it, just do whatever you can to help us get the word out. And then also do like us on, uh, you know, and leave some comments on YouTube. And also, uh, if you're listening to us on your actual uh, podcasting listening widget, leave us a five-star review. Don't leave us a four-star. Leave us a five-star. And then leave in comments why you like the show. iTunes, Stitcher, whatever your, uh, you know, Spotify, doesn't matter where you listen to us. But thank you for keeping this number one listen to daily podcast for real estate professionals in the world. Now, guys, get to work. Stop looking for reasons not to work. Stop looking for reasons to be complacent. This is your market if you choose for it to be. Have a fantastic day. We'll talk to you on the show tomorrow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.